Messiah through Matthew's eyes, and today we turn to a, a very famous passage, one we typically look at uh, at Palm Sunday, but we usually uh, read on that Sunday more than the first five verses, so we'll just take a look at the first five verses, Matthew 21 through 34, just take us Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs it, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Not too long ago, I heard someone remark that vacation takes a lot of work. And you know, sometimes that's true. start reading until the 21st chapter uh, for our 
saw that this took place in Israel, uh, we would have read these words, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And then five verses later, we come to our text, which begins by saying, when they drew near to Jerusalem. So obviously, Jesus and his disciples and all this crowd that's with him, they're traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, which means they're coming in on the east side of Jerusalem. That's about a 15-mile trip back in the day. And the entire time, you would have been walking uphill, up and up more than 3,000 feet through dry desert because Jericho is 800 feet below sea level, if you can believe that, and Jerusalem is 2,600 feet So we're talking about an all-day trip, walking uphill, and not only is it a hard and difficult trip, but it's a dangerous trip because that road was out in the middle of the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere with nothing around, and that road was famous for muggings and, and thieves and robbers and bandits as depicted in Jesus' famous parable of the Good Samaritan that we can find in Luke 10, a parable that's depicted by this woman all the time. You may remember that Jesus begins that parable by saying a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. This is the same trip. But Jesus and his party are going the other way. And this means that as the road near Jerusalem would approach the east side of the Mount of Olives, or what would have been considered the back side uh, from the city of Jerusalem. And they passed through Bethany, the place where Jesus stayed most of the last week of his life. The road would continue over the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, and up into the city of Jerusalem. Now, why did you all leave for Bethany? Well, the easy answer is to say, well, the basic information is there in the text, but the deeper answer is because ever since Sunday, September the 12th, we've been talking about this prophetic Messiah through Matthew's Gospel. And all of these prophecies that Jesus has been fulfilling shows that God has a plan, and Jesus is implementing that plan step by step, day by day, in God's way, and according to God's timing. And Matthew makes that clear repeatedly in the way in which he gives us information in his gospel. For example, Jesus' travel from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem would remind some in that crowd, if they knew those scriptures well enough, of the image that we have in Zechariah 14, where the Lord is liberating Jerusalem by standing up to the nations with his feet on the Mount of Olives. But that image just hits us into the right book of the book of Matthew and prepares us for the prophecy to come mentioned by Matthew in the text. And we can see that plan and we can see that prophecy begin to unfold in verse 2 of our text when Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately 
you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he'll send them again. You know, obviously, Jesus has arranged this in advance. It's all arranged. And because it is, we have to ask, Why is he doing it? spoken by the prophet, and he begins to quote Zechariah 9. And I know that's not in your daily reading list, so that's why we've had you read it every first week. Of course, if you know Hamlet's Messiah pretty well, you know this prophecy gets used in and all in it, amen, in the first section. But rejoice. You might be familiar with it because of that. The point is that Matthew expect his Jewish readers to know the rest of this prophecy. He just gives us a taste in his gospel that he would expect his Jewish readers to know the rest of it. That the prophecy has at least three main elements to it. And those are that Jerusalem must rejoice because their king is coming and this king will come in peace and be
right to death, even death on a cross. For as Isaiah puts it in his 42nd chapter, he will not frown on his transgressions or make his transgressions But even if we do the right thing and eventually don't do the good thing, we will still suffer. You see, Jesus is the about how he labeled himself in Matthew 11 with those magic words. Oh, come unto me, all of you laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is the kind of king we worship. One who showed that destroy, but to serve. And to love. Not to condemn, but to reach out and help. Not entering the city with a mighty army, but coming into that city of Jerusalem with compassion and the strength of His love and grace. He weeps over the city. But not only is He a humble king, but He's the one who
Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and at the same time that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. But of course his reign is not just spiritual. It's also providential. We've already mentioned this in the sermon today about God's plan and how Jesus was fulfilling that plan in God's way and in God's time. But what does it mean that the reign of as Proverbs 16.9 teaches, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. As someone has said, we plan as best we can. Then we submit our plans to the Lord, the King. Jesus ruled forever. As 
God told King David through Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 7, your throne will be established forever. Jesus extends the rule of God, and he does so forevermore. And so if Jesus is Lord who rules from heaven, which we've established by the truth of God's word in today's sermon, as well as our sermon on September the 26th, where we found that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's at the position of power and authority, and we found out that God will defeat all enemies through Jesus and his work, including sin, Satan, and the final enemy of death, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, if all of that is true, and it is according to God's Word, then we must accept Him as He comes to us in this age, even if He's not our picture of a king. You see, that was the problem with the Jews. looking for the war horse. They didn't want a king who came into town on a donkey. And sometimes we don't like the day that Jesus came either. You know, he doesn't perform miracles on our command. Just like that. That's the kind of king doesn't always prevent tragedies. He can and does and probably prevents more than we ever know about. But he doesn't prevent tragedies and situations that happen in life. He doesn't come on a war horse with myriads of angels following where his power is evident to all. Don't sometimes you wish in this world Jesus could just show people who's boss, but that's not the kind of king he is yet. He's not going to be that kind of king until he returns to this earth. And we have that picture in Revelation 19 of him on the white war horse with the armies of heaven following him. Thank you. 